Hey there, we're those sci-fi guys, and this is that those sci-fi guys show. Just two working dudes, way different jobs, different lives, but a whole lot of love for science fiction and the love that comes with. We're your hosts. I am P.S. McKay. Excited that they're bringing back all the big things from my childhood: Picard, Luke Skywalker, Ghostbusters, and the Soviet Union. <laughs> And I'm DT Cavman, and not if I can help it. <laughs> I tell you, DT, it makes me feel better hearing that from you. But goddamn. <laughs> By the way, I gotta give credit where credit's due. That is not my joke. I am not that original, as you all know. Uh, I gotta give credit to at Captain underscore Revo, R-E-V-O, for that delightful gem. So. Mm. I may not be original, but I am also not a plagiarist. <laughs> well, you know, small victories, my friend. Small victories. Small victories, indeed. Small victories, indeed. Anyway, <clears throat> how how goes it with you, DT? Oh, just uh, grinding one more day at a time. Mm. You know... It- uh, it is what it is, just contemplating it, the, uh, you know, my uh, five to ten year plan. I never liked the idea of a five to ten year plan because I'll never attain it. Uh, it it's really good when you think about it in terms of money. Like, True. oh, yeah, within five years, we'd like to replace three rooms of the house. With new furniture. <laughs> That's it. I do need to live by that. I do need to live. I need. I need to do something. I was gonna say it must be different, interesting for you right now. Although you you've had these bouts before, so you're not you're not you're not a rookie to this. But you have a family in another location, <laughs> and you're just stuck with your thoughts. Well, booze helps. <laughs> that was the most unhealthy answer ever. <laughs> it's a completely unhealthy answer. I, what I what I will say is the, the fact that you look like you're about to wet yourself made comment all the better. It was great. It was good. <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking, here's a guy who's got his head on straight. You know, he's dealt with this many times before. What kind of advice would he have to be able to, to, to allow someone to cope with the situation that he's currently in? Comfort and then food you're and streaming food. services. <laughs> and those. So, but, which, you know, what, what's been helpful is since I'm back close to home now, I'm able to visit friends and family a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't do that when I was alone in other places. No, that's true. That's true. Well, the you couple a little times, bit more familiarity where you are. Like when I was living in Kentucky and splitting time uh, with the family, you know, and, you know, stayed away, I would, I would get over, you know, I, I had a couple of friends here and there on the post, or at least some who occasionally cycled through. So there was occasional times I would see people. Um, and uh, But uh, that was really it. When I was in Ohio, I was 
uh, on my own the first time. And before the family came up from Texas, it was alone and didn't, I mean, much like now, I don't have a lot of free hours during the day. No. Um, but, you know, at least I get to come back, talk to my sister most nights. Yeah. Do you so find I, it paralyzing at all? And I don't want to do a deep psychological dig into you, but because <laughs> I would find it paralyzing personally. Uh, Better people than you have tried. Uh, I know that. Don't worry. I'm just saying. I, I, I'm implying that I don't. We're on a podcast, and you know, if it's a personal question, obviously you you ducked it. So. <laughs> well, my father-in-law always used to try to, talk, you know, maneuver me into either political or economic conversations. And the first time he started like digging deep into like finances and my economics, I just told him I invested in commemorative plates. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the Franklin Mint, my friend, is where your fortunes can be found. <laughs> well, he, he was a little caught a little flat footed with that. Uh, <laughs> normally, I've had a chance to. Uh, there was another time he decided he was going to tro- troll through some emails back about 10 12 years ago when the Sox weren't doing great, but the Rangers were really good. And he's like, uh, how does it feel, uh, you know, that the Sox aren't good, but the Rangers are going to postseason? And I said, yeah, it's fine. You know, the Rangers only seem to go to the postseason when the Democrats are in the White House. And that, that he didn't like that either. <laughs> <laughs> Zing. That was Zing. a... Touche. Yeah, it is a good touche. <laughs> it, it is because uh, they hadn't been. You know, they they made it. You know, once Obama took office, but they hadn't made it. Clinton was in office. It was. Um, that's good. That's a nice. That's a nice political, apolitical thing. Well, it's it's, <laughs> a, it's an ole as much as anything else. Ole. Yeah, I like it. I like it. <clears throat> Provided that you are able to uh, pull it off because the um, absurd statement is a great diffuser of tense oh, situations. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's my main jam, man. <laughs> Awkward, absurd, and irreverent is where I live. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> it just, it just it allows you just enough room to be able to go, oh, don't take anything I say seriously, even though I'm thinking about everything seriously. Well, so. it's, well, it's kind of like when, how does this guy think? Well, you should realize how people think when you start lo- looking at who their favorite comedians are. Right. That's true. That's true. This man is very much a huge fan of Mitch Hedberg and Norm MacDonald. Yeah, okay. I can see why he... <laughs> Gives completely bizarre answers. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's a good dive. That's a good dive. Going back to the Franklin Mint, I just had a realization. Do you, you remember? Can't eat them. It doesn't make your breath smell anymore. No, it it does not. Um, a little little hard to go down. You'll get some indigestion there. So, do you remember that insignia collection? I had of all the Star Trek insignias. 
Uh, the gold and silver one. You know, it had like it had like the gold captain's insignia from the movies for uh, Starfleet and all that. Uh, the yeah, that was one of those with the collectors things, right? Yeah, it was. It was expensive too. I think at the time. Each of those insignia pieces was like $25 or maybe more. So the set and was what, like $400, you know, like they. Something like that. Yeah. And so one day, my brother was so was gracious enough when he moved out here to be able to bring me that set because I actually told him to sell it, but he didn't do it. Um, and I was grateful for him to do that, which made me look on eBay to see how much the set was. Now, this is the first set that Franklin Mint did, okay? The first one. There was another set that they did that I didn't bother exploring. And complete set in a case that comes with it. You $12. Know, no. <laughs> Lower. So Sorry. It's, 12, it's 12 insignias at, let's say, $25 a piece. So how much is that? No, we're not doing that. $600? It's $600. Yeah, $600 plus the case, which is probably another $50 or something. $650 at the least in 1994 money. I found it going for $250 on eBay. Yep. We're talking 14 karat gold. Ah. Pure silver. Were they in mint condition? Or were your greasy... You know, 13-year-old fingers all over them. Well, mine's in mint condition. Because I never opened them after I put them in the case. But, I don't know. I can't speak to the condition that they were on eBay other than good. So, I'm sitting here going, wow, that was a great investment I made. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like you invested in a regular car. Yeah. <laughs> And to be fair, it was a gift, you know, from my parents to me. But you know, I'm I'm still I'm think I'm I'm sitting here thinking it's 25 years later. It, there's no appreciation of value at all for something like this, which makes me realize that if any one of my children come to me for the Franklin Mint items, which they never will because they live in a different life, uh, no, don't don't fall for it. No, don't, <laughs> just don't. So, speaking of Star Trek, what are we here for today, DT? We are here for a debate that we have long discussed and brought up. I think it was actually came up in, like, conversation during one of our earlier intros, probably right. a couple months ago. Yes. But we've decided we are going to talk about the best engineers in science fiction. As I've racked my brain for engineers outside of star trek not a lot of the sci-fi <laughs> shows have had true engineers they've had no. like your scientist slash engineer is generally yep. it um so obviously we have uh you know that that was that has been the cornerstone of most of the star trek series up until new trek because I still don't know who the chief engineer is of Discovery. <laughs> I mean, is it Stamets? Is it Reno? They don't uh, know. They don't know. They don't care. I'm a, what is it? La Serena or whatever it is? La Serena? La Serena. La Serena. Yeah. Which, 
What the I hell mean, kind of name is that? Jesus Christ. Well, I'm sure it's probably Spanish, so let's not be a douchebag about it. Well, just at least give the definition. I don't even know how to spell La Serena. I mean, I guess it's better than having old American and British ship names that we've been using through Star Trek <laughs> for the last 50 years. Young, it was this Youngstown <laughs> crazy horse. The, oh, crazy horse is new, right? Uh, or it was new. Uh, Yorktown. <laughs> well, we then took a complete left turn, and now I don't even know. The Riker <coughs> being on some random ship of a... A Mandarin, a Mandarin named ship. Yeah. If he should have been on the Enterprise E or the Titan or something, or, or it, it just would have made more impact. Having some random ship name has less of an impact, okay? I know what they were going for, but I'm not going to say it. Yeah. I am all for cultural inclusion. You nope. know, but if we truly are the, fe- we're truly the Federation, then, you know, maybe if he arrived on the USS Spock, maybe that would have made more sense. You know, a uh, ship named after a legendary member of the Federation who wasn't human. The Saru, little callback. Meh, he disappeared. He might oh, not. That's even. right. He's, he's classified now. Yeah. <laughs> Deep Space Nine did have the Sarek. That's right. That did happen. I forgot about that. It was like background noise, but still, mm-hmm. I mean, you could have paid homage to Enterprise and be on like the USS Shran or the USS Saval or. You know, the, oh, those would be good. That would be a specific the, class ship, wouldn't it? Like the founders the, of the Federation. Yeah, I def. I always, you know, what bothers me about Starfleet ships is that, like, hey, what well, they do it on, and what I actually like about uh, lower decks is that the Cerritos is part of the California class, and all of the ta- all the other oh, uh, California all the class ships Cali- California cities. At least there's some consistency with it. You know, like I, Galaxy Class, the Enterprise, the Venture, well, okay, the Yamato. I mean, these are all kind of out there, like... A little jumbled. Well, I mean, in the U.S. Navy, you have, like, uh, you know, your Los Angeles class, you know, submarines are all cities. You have, uh, you know, the aircraft carriers were named after presidents and... And generally, yeah, either presidents or or um, admirals and shit. Yeah, um, you know. So you, they kind of shot themselves in the foot by naming the first one the Nimitz, and then going Ronald Reagan. <laughs> and and what, 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 how many of them are there? There's, there isn't the general uh, Gerald Ford out there, is there? Yes, there is a Gerald Ford. Now, the Jimmy Carter was actually a sub because Jimmy Carter was a submariner. Oh, okay. okay. So they, they did something a little different with that. When they named something after Carter, it was actually a submarine, which was, I think, rather nice. You I know? do like that. No, I like that a lot. That's, that's even a more, that's a more meaningful homage than just having well, a massive ship named after you. 
the George Bush, the George H.W. Bush. He served he, on an aircraft carrier. He was a pilot. He did serve on the aircraft on an aircraft carrier. Yes, he was a naval aviator. He wasn't on the Enterprise, was he? I don't know. I'd have to look it up. I'll look it up. He was one of the youngest naval aviators in the war, too. Got shot down. Yeah, he was. Wasn't he a prisoner of war? No, he was the only one of his flight group that wasn't a prisoner of war. Oh, Jesus, real! I forgot about that. Yeah. So. God, what a what a crazy life that is, you know, to be able to. I don't know. We're still we're still living out our lives, so we'll, <laughs> I might be speaking too soon. But to to you know be born in in the post World War One era, going through per, uh, World War Two, then the Cold War. And just be president of the United States. That's just. Don't forget, he was also vice president and I believe head of the CIA. So this dude. Yeah, he also had that. This dude was all. <laughs> he, whether you loved him or hated him, the man had an impressive resume. He did. He did. He at least put his money with his mouth is, you know, a president who knew what it was like to fight a war. So mm-hmm. when he committed troops to go to war. Knew what he was getting getting them shit into, <laughs> so you can you can at least respect that. Uh, he was assigned. His squadron was assigned to the USS San Jacinto, in Air Group Fifty One, and he flew his first combat mission. Oh, in the bombing of Lake Island. Yeah, nothing says "give us back our territory" by bombing the shit out of our own territory. Well, that was so sad because, you know, we left all of our servicemen there, you know, just completely vulnerable to a Japanese invasion. Wake, Midway, all of these, they were stuck like Chuck out there. Completely to their own device. And I know, I know why I'm not blaming, I I blame, I blame the, I blame the devil of war. I don't blame the U.S. military for it, you know, and I don't think any of those servicemen would fight that either. I don't think, but I could be wrong. I'm not going to put words in their mouth. Yeah, um, well, I I'd steer clear. I think you're you're going to venture down a dangerous rabbit hole, my friend. Yeah, no, that's why you're here. That's why you're here to stop me. So, <laughs> all right. So well, let's let's start off with. Uh, okay, so our big thing was we started going down the rabbit hole with you know Star Trek engineers. And I don't know if you said it or I said it, I, uh, but the question was asked, who was the better Starfleet engineer? Well, in Starfleet, uh, let's go ahead and, and talk about our most um, recognizable ones. Right. Okay, so we'll start at the beginning. Scotty. Scotty. Captain Montgomery Scott. Yep. His retirement name. He was rank. Yes, he was the uh, chief engineer of the Enterprise. The Enterprise A had actually been assigned to work on the Excelsior, where he got his promotion to captain. Yep. Uh, and he eventually got stuck in a time loop, so he could show up and hang out on the Enterprise D for a little bit. Not but, in a time loop. He was I know. preserved it was, in a transporter <laughs> buffer. Yeah. Well, according to uh, Elvis, he's caught in a trap can't get out <laughs> well that's the same thing but yeah aaron Vivo okay. also said that too 
<laughs> but so yeah, so it was, it was in the interact. Right. So you get to see Scotty interact with the next gen crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to see, um, well, of course, then the next chief engineer you got to see, real chief engineer was Jory LaForge. Because I, th- I had, think that was our first true demonstration of someone using engineering knowledge and scientific know-how in a pinch. Who, Jordy? Yeah. Well, in Scotty, a real way. Scotty was always, you know. I can't do it no more, Captain. I can't change the laws of physics, but I did. <laughs> yeah. You know, the Enterprise D went through like three or four different chief engineers during the first two seasons. Yeah, the first season, season, right? The first first season, season, yeah. There was that bearded guy, Argyle, who showed up in like maybe two episodes. Who Uh I guess was kind of in they kind of was in the running to be the recurring guy, I guess. But then they just decided to promote Levar Burton off the bridge, which I think was better because. It gave them more to do. They had too many people on the bridge. Yeah, well, that's the the perfect case with um, Ensign Travis. Ensign Travis on Enterprise. He got lost. Mayweather. Um, Ensign Travis Mayweather. Yes, my apologies. It's been a little while. Um, but he got lost in all the cat and all the cast on that on that bridge. There were a lot of characters on Enterprise, and he just fell to the wayside. Yeah, they didn't do enough with his character, and we we will definitely need to do a, a discussion episode on underused characters because Absolutely. he's he he's definitely one of those. Um, he should have been almost like a a guide. He you know being familiar with most of the the aliens in the in the Earth sphere of political geopolitical influence, you know. Then maybe he shouldn't have been an ensign. Maybe he should have been a lieutenant, and he would have had a lot more responsibility. <laughs> but I mean. He oh, was come on, answer. he's fresh from the, he's fresh from the, <laughs> is it possible to graduate from the academy as lieutenant? Not in the real world, but you no. know, I mean, <laughs> but you didn't have to make him fresh from the academy. I don't know if Anthony Montgomery was as young as the character. He was young. I don't want to look it up, though. Yeah. Anyway, so. It did give Jordy more to do, and he was more notable. Yeah, because then you have. Him uh, and then, of course, that allowed them to do Wesley on the bridge, which was trying to give him a better character arc, which it was. It was a little bit better when he wasn't some. He was a, a better character as he got more involved with actually doing stuff on the ship rather than being the snot nose whiz kid that got which, lost uh, which, in the middle of a science project or which get which I. Definitely, that's a writing issue, not so much the the acting. Not at all. But yeah, I, I do believe, very much so, that Jory LaForge, when he became a much better character, when he moved to the bridge, uh, when he moved to engineering. Yeah. I mean, it gave him, well, he was like the only guy who regularly got promotions <laughs> as well. <laughs> he started out it's as a true. lieutenant JG, got promoted twice during the series. Worf had to, I think he got one promotion during the series and then got promoted at the end of the series um, or in the in generation. Ambassadorship or promotion? 
No, he when he made lieutenant commander. You got lieutenant commander at generations. Yep. Yeah, but he was a JG just like Jordy in the yeah yeah yeah. First yeah. Season. No, so he right, got promoted right. twice. And yes, he did. He got made an ambassador. That's a hell of a lot more responsibility than a lieutenant commander. <laughs> but it's outside of the service. Well, you're still serving. I know you're still serving, but for the longest time, this I is thought a different admiral. Discussion. They when I was a kid. Can. I know they. I know that, but it, it felt like that they were like part of the service when I was a kid. Well, when you're watching Star Trek, who does not do a great job of differentiating between politics and the military. Well, that's my yes. point. Yeah. But. That's my point. But the, uh, but Jordy kind of grew, right, as a character. Yeah. You got to see more of him, and you got to see him in, I mean, yeah, he sat in the captain's chair in like one weird episode of the first season, but you actually got to see him kind of in charge of shit and giving orders to people and seeing how Jordy is as a leader. Okay. That's great. Plus it actually put him in data on more equal setting because, you know, for your, for a Lieutenant commander's best friend to be a Lieutenant JG is weird, uh, in a command structure. Well, yeah, especially be, if that command structure overlaps. Exactly. So, just it, it, and yeah, it was, it was a good, it was a good move for for Jordy as well. When they started actually fleshing out the characters and and their jobs, it was better. Uh, Deep Space Nine, everybody's favorite, every man, Miles O'Brien, who. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, every the, everyone's favorite enlisted men. But I didn't yeah. realize that I don't think Starfleet had any more enlisted men. It was just him. <laughs> he just showed up one day. Hey, can I just start serving? And he was like the only in the academy. He was like the, <laughs> the only NCO. They always had like officers and crewmen. Yep. You know? But <laughs> just <laughs> so, uh, but you know, so he was the chief engineer. Oh. And he showed he showed a lot of he showed a lot of that uh, spark as the transporter chief. He did because he had to jury rig a few transporter things from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, Dealing so. with uh, 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 Barclay's uh, fear of seeing creatures in the transmatter stream. Yeah, there was also when the episode Power Play, which was one of those. Rare episodes where O'Brien gets to, uh, you know, demonstrate his, uh, you know, be, is basically a central character of the plot when he has to beam down with the emergency transporter stuff to help rescue a down shuttle crew, and they get possessed by the uh, aliens. Oh, that one, yes. And uh, oh, it definitely al- it allowed Marina Sirtis, Brent Spiner, and Calm Meany to just chew the fucking scenery. Oh yeah, that was all good. three of them gave outstanding performances. You know, so it was it was so it was, hold on, it was Marina Sirs coming in. Who else? Brent Spiner. They all got Oh, it was Brent okay. Yeah. Because I my immediate thought went to disaster. And when it was that Will was another Barrett, Marina Sirtis, 
and Colmini as the yeah. only ones on the bridge that were left alive. Michelle Phillips. And Colmini, yep. I, no, Michelle oh, Forbes. Well, Michelle Forbes. Forbes, yeah. Michelle Forbes, yeah. I know, it's weird that I refer to two actors' names and then the, the yeah. character. But um, what we got to see there was O'Brien laying down the order of command. And he wasn't the one in charge. And he never questioned... He never questioned uh, Troy's uh, orders. All he really do, did was you saw him trying to just guide her in a moment where she was unsure of herself. My friend, that is a, that is a good non-commissioned officer right there. Right there. Absolutely. That is exactly what it was. <laughs> the experienced guy, the, sub, you know, the subject matter expert. It was, it was neat. You get to see in, you get to see, uh, he was the tactical officer on the Enterprise when they they shifted all the other guys dur- during the Redemptions Part Two. Yep. Picard has a little fleet, and Riker and Geordi are off, and O'Brien. Because this is already after the wounded, where they say, "Hey, O'Brien served as a ship's tactical officer during the mm-hmm. Cardassian War." So you learn a little bit about him, and of course, in that episode, uh, in the episode uh, the wounded, is you get to see him find a way through the you know the phoenix's shield so he can defuse the situation so you get to see some of this really good stuff with the chief before he even gets to deep space nine and he was there he was there from the very beginning too let's just let's let's remind everyone he was there in the pilot he has uh, the second counter of our point <laughs> at least uh, and I, I'm sure Patrick Stewart is slowly climbing the list, but he has, and Jonathan Frakes has also had a shit ton <laughs> yeah. of appearances. Uh, but, you know, Colm Meany has the second most appearances in all of Star Trek behind Michael Dorn. Hmm. Because now I have to wonder. He did. He was in like 225 episodes of Star Trek, something like that. Spanning from 1987 to 1999. Yeah. 12 years. That was only 12 years. God, that felt like a lifetime. Well, what what was great was they brought him back for all good things. Yes, they did. That was great. Him and they and uh, Denise Crosby back so they could flesh out the rest of the bridge crew, <laughs> which was great because it was like, oh, we're skipping Farpoint. It's like, where's half the crew? <laughs> yeah. so, it was, you know, that was good. But you even hear, even in the next generation, like, oh, what was it? Um, where they're uh, where they're trapped in the. Uh, the Leah Brahms episode uh, where Jordy kind of falls in love with her hologram. Yeah. Booby uh, trap, right? Booby trap. Mm-hmm. Right. And okay, okay. Uh Jean-Luc Picard, uh, the character, has many more episodes to go in order to catch up to Chief O'Brien. Oh, yeah. O'Brien was in 52 episodes of The Next Generation. Yep. 52. Mm-hmm. Plus 172 from Deep Space Nine. Yep. So actually, he beats Worf. No. What do you mean, no? Worf got four full seasons on Deep Space Nine and seven full seasons oh, on The Next Generation. 
You're not wrong. Hold on. I know I'm not wrong. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I interrupted you because that's what I do. Yeah, well, in Booby Trap, where, you know, uh, Picard's saying, oh, I think I had this model of this starship at home. He's like, he's like, you build models? He's like, none of you did. He's like, shipping a bottle. And like, mm-hmm. O'Brien, and they're doing it in the transport room. And O'Brien's like, he's like, none of you built the ship in the bottle or something like that. <laughs> yeah. or, or built model ships. And O'Brien's like, oh, I did, sir. Just I did, kind of counter. And he's like, thank you, Mr. O'Brien. Walks out and, <laughs> and then Riker looks at him. He's like, no, I really did. <laughs> I'm proud of nosing. I'm not kissing up. <laughs> So, and that you're right. That is the sign of a good uh, NCO right there. <laughs> it's also the sign of a little of a nice peppering of a background character with just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You see, when when O'Brien got the move to Deep Space Nine, that was a big key because people were like, oh, well, okay, this proves same universe, same timeline. There's a, a relative, continuity there. A relatively well-liked recurring character mm-hmm. who uh, actually had a few decent episodes, particularly later in his run on Deep Space on uh, Next Gen. And then, of course, he becomes uh, a great part of Deep Space Nine. I what I love what I really love about him. What truly makes his move to Deep Space Nine even the best is that uniform where he gets he rolled up the sleeves on the on the yeah. old suit. And that yep. it, that's how, that was his action figure had the sleeves rolled up. <laughs> I mean that that, that was, was great. It was perfect. It showed how much he, it showed. He literally rolled up his sleeves to get to work. He worked. That, that He's a was a working it. character. Exactly. That was that was kind of the everyman, the 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 blue collar dude, mm-hmm. you know, who could stand right up there and be just as skilled, just as talented as. All these shining example, you know, Picards and Rikers and Kirks and stuff. And actually, and then you've Miles got O'Brien. Chief Miles O'Brien, the most important man in Starfleet history. <laughs> yeah. Which well, let's see. He was on the front course. lines. He was on the front lines of the Dominion War. He he uh, refit the D, the DS9 space station with a whole shitload of weapons and, and the Defiant. Made oh. sure that Defiant was completely workable with this overpowered engine and under under uh, engineered uh, frame. Like <laughs> he made it work. He made that ship the most powerful ship in Starfleet, along with the the with the, the strongest bases that we've ever seen. Honestly, have you ever seen a star base fire anything from it? You know, it's no, no, not, no. They just didn't do it. But then again, star bases were always like a, a, a rest stop. It yes, like, they were. Uh, Picard's like, I, I need to, I need to drop a deuce. Where's the closest yeah. star base? That's like yeah. it. Like, it's like there's one they bathroom gotta... on the, there's one bathroom on the Enterprise. So you've got to stop at a star base if somebody's in there. Are those flaming funyuns in there? In there, Vinny? Hold on, guys. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> like. Uh... Okay, folks, obviously you can see how much we love Chief O'Brien. Right, <laughs> voted, we'll get, voted, we'll, voted in, in by the Irish Times as one of the ten most influential and positively portrayed Irish characters of all time. Yeah? Yeah. 
he, he, in pop culture. Yeah, he, he definitely was. Um, <laughs> you know, he had that that you know old Irish, you know, kind of building the transcontinental railroad or putting up the the bridges like the Brooklyn Bridge. These all these stories like His our families with real food. Oh, I know. You're right. Hey, <laughs> O'Brien was disgusted by the idea. Completely right. disgusted. <laughs> right. Until, of course, then she had to go to, like, Cisco's for the occasional staff family dinner. Right. <laughs> and he's he's cooking in there. Yep. Of course, he, he, was, he grew up in a gourmet restaurant. So, I mean, but <laughs> I digress. With the next engineer we, we meet is uh Bilana Torres who has a little bit of Chief O'Brien in her in the fact that she had to make do with spare parts and everything to keep the Maquis ship flying and of course basically the same way with Voyager towards the end I gotta be honest I am not as familiar with Bilana Torres's character because I found her uninteresting well, she because, was kind of grating at first, too, because she was always getting into a fight with people. I, I understood where the, direct, the, the the writers were going with her. They, they, she started out a little one-dimensional, like some, you know, easy-to-anger hothead uh, who, you know, is part Klingon, or she, like, quarter Klingon or something like Half that. Half Klingon. Half Klingon. And uh, let me just give you my nerd card now. Um for not remembering that don't forget you watched all seven seasons i did not. no i didn't i didn't oh. I, in the last I, the last two seasons maybe three and a half two and a half i i was not consistent in watching so because you know i had a girlfriend then and then i went off to college so i couldn't i had to i had to hide my identity at that point so <laughs> yes, this was back before nerd culture was really chic. <laughs> Not chic, just acceptable. So, <laughs> just, so um, but no, I, I I'm least familiar with her, and I know that they developed her. She's you know fell in love with Tom. Tom kind of calmed her down, brought her. You know, some stability in her emotional life and everything. I just, and I know she was prone to periods of brilliance, but I don't feel like they showed she was a brilliant engineer. Well, I think also because one of the complaints that's, you know, has been kind of come out from some other cast members was how when Seven of Nine came aboard that like they had to focus on her they focused a lot on her Janeway and you're absolutely correct and the doctor you know at the expense of a lot of the other characters you're absolutely correct Tom and and, two female techno heads right now Tom and Ballora uh uh Bellana got some couple stuff a lot towards the end. I think that's where she kind of, they kind of merged identities there so they could say, oh, see, we're we're doing these people. But, <laughs> I mean, didn't she help build the Delta Flyer and absorb, like all the technology 
Well, I'm sure all the Borg technology was accredited to 7 of 9. Yeah. She helped build the Delta Flyer, but Tom was the one who designed it. Well, he's, he's a pilot. A pilot. He's not an engineer. But he designed it. Yeah, and I, and, okay, well, first of all, all right, another, another truth be told, I have not watched that episode. But I know that, I, I remember seeing the preview to that episode, and it implied that he was the one that designed it and went to Bellana. Well, he was a car guy. He, I mean, he was a pilot. He was a, he was kind of a flyboy. So, I mean, but let's face it, the Borg you know, in space, a cube can go. The Borg cube could outrun the Enterprise. It doesn't matter what it looked like as long as the engines could get it moving. Right, right. So he could have designed it to look like a foot, and it would, you know, if they had the right, you know, engines at least in space. Could outrun something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> now, but I, I, I feel bad that you know we're probably going to shortchange Bellana because we're both not as big a fan, maybe not as tight of our background on her. I'll say this: I'm going to short change. I'm going to short change uh, uh, Trip. I like Trip. He was fun. I liked Trip as a person, but I didn't like him as an engineer. I actually thought he was a halfway decent engineer, you know, from from the Starfleet perspective. I mean, like, he was all the way, there wasn't a whole lot different between him and, like, Scotty to a degree. Because when you first watch the original series, yeah, I mean, there, you know... He, you're you barely aware of Starfleet and the Federation, you know. You they have no run backup. In, yeah, you you don't really run into how many times did they run in? Most of the time they run into another ship. It's been like destroyed, or yep. you know, like the Defiant, the Constellation, all these other ships they keep running into, yeah. are like toast, right? So mm-hmm. that's it. It's, you don't really see much of that. So in a lot of ways, it's like Scotty's having to like pull this shit out of his ass and that's really what trip was like and o'brien to a degree really when you think about it jordy's the only one who was ever really shown to have like all the shit he ever needed or if he didn't he invented it well a lot of them did his stuff just didn't look like it was like slapped together with duct tape as like yeah i mean that that and of course o'brien had to deal with the cardassian shit so no, okay, so, I, oh, man, if we're going to, okay, we're not going to do a full comparison just yet. I will say I felt that Trip was a bit whiny. Scotty was the magician, and you're right. They kind of treated both of them in the same light where they were kind of on their own. They had to make do with what they had. Um, it's just like Bellana, right. but I, I don't feel like they, they showed that as well with Bellana. My my um, vibe is it wasn't as developed as well. No, which but, is sad considering Scotty and Trip were both on much shorter TV shows. <laughs> yes, they were. Oh, some some of the crimes cr- created by these writers, you know, it just can be atrocious sometimes. And there was some amazing writing on these shows too. So let us just be I honest know. about this. You, you can't you can't bat a thousand every time. No. Um. But, I mean, I will say, Trip, I don't feel, was as brilliant an engineer 
and prove me wrong, by the way, because I I don't have as ex- extensive knowledge of the of the uh, of Enterprise as I do of TNG. Do you remember the augment arc in season four? I've seen it exactly once. So there was this fantastically bizarre sequence where Enterprise is literally. They 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 jammed the engines and it's like set to. Was it the augments? If this was after Trip had transferred to Columbia. Oh God. Okay. Um, and I'm trying to remember if it was that part or if it was. Might have been the Klingon arc. Now that I think about it. Somebody broke. I think it might have been the forehead arc. <laughs> Um, but so the enterprise is like getting ready to like fly itself apart. Can't really, uh, and the, the engineer at the time, you know, trip successor just couldn't pull it off. And so they managed to get Columbia into the area and up to speed and they're flying. We're flying inverted. No. Yeah. I remember that. Okay. It definitely somebody was a big fan of Top Gun. Absolutely. We were flying inverted. You know? <laughs> Negative seven G's. <laughs> uh, you gave him the bird. Uh, yes, the, the finger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, That's classified. <laughs> yeah. So they were, you know, they were flying inverted. And then they shoot those, uh, the um, grappling hooks into each other's cargo bays and like trips like going up through them at in a warp does, bubble in a warp bubble yeah the warp bubble so i think it was, was the first time we've ever seen something like that yeah it was a, it was a nice idea yeah um so it was definitely um that was bravery it was bravery um i think that was his idea though okay all right, well, I'll give credit for that. I, I, I honestly, I, I mean, I kind of remember that. I need to go rewatch it now. God damn it, I'm, I'm truly intrigued. Well, and of course, you know, when they, when they would, when they start upgrading the systems, like, and he had to upgrade the, the, the pulse cannons to the phase cannons and. Mm-hmm. The fo- the what the uh, whatever missiles or whatever to the photonic torpedoes and, <laughs> and all all of this shit and working on the transporter you know which was at that time really just used for cargo and shit so he kind of had a hand on getting all of this stuff plus he literally was keeping Enterprise flying when it kept getting the shit beat out of it by the Zindi particularly in the second half of the season when Enterprise just kept getting wrecked. That's true. You're right. The Enterprise did get wrecked. He kept that bitch during that, flying. During that thing. Yeah, he... Okay, okay, okay. I did feel he was a little whiny. Yeah, yeah okay. But we could, we could chalk it up to his sister being dead. Yeah, well, he definitely was dealing... You could definitely saw... Grief. Grief. Some survivor's guilt, PTSD, all wrapped into it. It was actually yeah. kind of nice that they actually showed that problem it's nice when they showed starfleet officers could actually be human yeah 
because it, it was almost as if Gene Roddenberry didn't want humanity to be human anymore. And all, it almost, he, he wanted them to be just like hedonistic or, or shut it all off with Switch. You know what I mean? Either, yeah, it was like one or the other. It was like Spock or <laughs> Kirk, you know? Well, Kirk, Kirk, I would argue, was hedonistic and then professional. He shut it off with the switch. Yes. He, Kirk was a mix not between a, not Spock Wang, and... But he shut everything else off with the switch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Kirk was a mix between uh, Kirk, uh, Spock and, and Scotty. Think about it. He was spotty. Got it. Spotty. Oh boy, that's a that's a thing. That's a thing. <laughs> well, anyway, Trip. I, I liked Trip. Uh, you know, as an engineer. Again, granted, I am not an engineer, folks. We will go ahead and lay that out there. Um, I you know I I gotta throw out a little bit of an honorable mention to Simon Pegg's. Scotty from the Kelvin universe, uh, you know, worked on the uh, long distance transporting, uh, trying to find a way through the defenses of the vengeance. I don't know. He, that, he was a fast, he was a different take on Scotty. What do you think? Um, <laughs> I found him to be a bit more comedic gosh I, I found it to be a bit much like every other character in the kelvin timeline all of them were a bit much <laughs> i don't know a bit I much think, more I, I think mccoy was pretty spot on uh it was a lot less yes, racist but not by much you're right he was less racist <laughs> but he, he he was still more mccoy than mccoy like he over exemplified himself in a good way to show that he was McCoy. I think he probably had the closest to any of the originals. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Carl Urban's brilliant, so. He is. I mean, he played Julius Caesar very well. Um, no, no other emperor could take out Xena the warrior princess like he did. So. Or defeat orcs, or defeat, orcs. or or sh- or shoot the rock. <laughs> Wait, he shot the rock. Yeah, I think that was in Doom. Oh, I didn't see that one. I was thinking of the movie CIA, but that was Jeremy Renner. CIA? No, no, it was uh, it, it was it was Red. From, it was, he was it he was, was the CIA guy in Red fighting Bruce Willis. That yeah, no. That was such a no. great movie. <laughs> and he and he eventually comes around to his senses and gets on Bruce's side. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's that was right. A, that was a great movie. The second movie that was good. good. Red was awesome. The first, the first one was great. Seeing Helen Mirren just like get out of the car as it's spinning as she walks. Oh like, yeah. <laughs> I fell in love with her in that movie. That those might have been <laughs> Bruce Willis's last good movies. Oh God, he really is in it for a paycheck now. I don't know. 
I mean, he just doesn't care either. Because <laughs> he's just Bruce Willis doing Bruce Willis. So <laughs> Yeah, gotta gotta admit, I mean he knows where his wheelhouse is. Uh-huh. But Absolutely. okay. I, I'm just gonna throw it out there. You you don't see it too much, but in Discovery, when they brought on Tignataro as Jet Reno, okay, the, the opening time they see her when she's literally keeping people alive through use of her engineering background. Yes, I mean she basically treating human bodies like machines. Yes, she was, which is a fascinating way to look at it, and she was saving lives for like months. Was pretty impressive. Okay, and and okay, all right. You're absolutely correct. Um, I do. I <laughs> I love the way she gets on Stamets' nerves. It her funny. Her character. Her character has made me think about Star Star Trek Discovery more than I needed to. And here's why. <laughs> I've thought about this. She has clearly shown herself to be a truly brilliant engineer, yeah. right? A, an engineer that lacks any emotional awareness whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Probably puts her on some sort of spectrum. I'm not saying what, but probably, right? Mm-hmm. Which also, with her brilliance in engineering probably would allow her to be able to be an amazing doctor, but she stayed away from medicine because machines don't require emotion. Right. Plus, so, she's also a world-class troll. Well, that too. Which, I mean, she hates humans. She hates people. She which, doesn't like people. I know, which is kind of one of the reasons why she's funny to me. So, I, I, I did... I. I didn't like the idea that an engineer could suddenly just like keep people alive with engineering technology um, biologically. But then I was like, oh, wait, this is probably her psychology. And she probably knows biology very well, but she didn't she didn't want to go into a career medicine. Well, I mean. Didn't we just watch the book of Boba Fett where they have people just like <laughs> cybernetically yeah. enhancing themselves? Isn't that the Borg? Well, it is. It absolutely is. And also that's yeah. that's Star Wars where it's fantasy, not based in science. But isn't that Star also Wars the Borg? It's based in science. Oh, it's absolutely the Borg. Now, unless they start communicating with each other telepathically. No, I meant the Borg. The Borg is the 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 Basically, all the cybernetic enhancements. Yeah, no. So, I mean, just saying. I'm not ranking her as uh, in my top engineers. Actually, I would probably rank her as number one. Now that I think about it, goddammit. She's got range. Tignataro's got range. What's her, what's her character's name? Jet Reno. She, she, it is, no, it, no it is not. It, it is really not. is. Really? Not a... I mean, it's a great name, but it's like a great name for like a spoof. God or like, damn! It's like a 1940s, that you know, unfair. superhero, uh, or or it's like it's like, yeah, it's 
and if they only had her more consistently on the show, I don't know how season four has played out. I know that season three, she was there for half of it. Yeah. Like, she, and she shows up halfway through and they're like, where have you been? I'm like, I've been right over here. <laughs> Which is a pretty good, it's a pretty good line, actually. It's a good line for lazy writers, but yeah. she can sell it. Well, so, I mean, you didn't even have, they didn't even have to write in. Where the hell have you been? Right. You know, <laughs> we just don't go down to the engine room. Ever. No. <laughs> you never see engineering. Why? Because it's always that stupid spore drive lab. That's yeah, it. that's true. That's it. Good so point. It's, it, 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 it's going to send me down a separate rabbit hole. You know, who's <laughs> the science officer on Discovery? Who's go the chief it. engineer? Go don't know. Go for, go for it. I literally don't know. Unless what, you any, what almost anybody's job on that ship is. Honestly, and no one Culver does. is now spending more time being the ship's psychologist than he is being the ship's actual doctor. <sighs> really? Oh, and by the way, he also downloaded somebody's consciousness into a golem. So now he's also a cyberneticist. Uh, Whose consciousness? Oh, you haven't been watching? No. Oh, uh, the it's a the guy trill that died thing. in the first episode. No, the oh, tr- the trill. Yeah, the trill that was in um trill that's in the it, human and it, her uh, dead boyfriend. Who? Yeah, yeah. Didn't didn't he want to go with it? Sorry, they. The human host goes by they. The former host goes damage by he, he him, I believe. Damage is already done, DT. You're not sensitive enough. No, I know that. <laughs> I'm trying. I just know I'm probably not going to be sensitive you're, enough for people. You're trying to be better. <laughs> That's all I can do is try to be better. So, okay, so they created a golem of the Trill guy. Yeah, they basically redid the Picard maneuver from the end of Picard where they downloaded his consciousness into the... Right. Into, Which in, has it that they're going to just like have Q go flick up at your human being again. Maybe. Which will be interesting to see. But no one ever. So... We've talked a lot about the Star Trek engineers. So, obviously, I think we know who our favorite is. Yep. My favorite, of course, is always always going to be Miles O'Brien. For all the things that he does, the character he is, but a very... It's hard, because, like, my top... I really like Scotty. I really like Jordy. Because, I mean, it's hard to beat LeVar Burton. Okay? What can I say? If uh, if he just sat and read Starfleet regulations in his reading rainbow voice, I would, list, I would listen to it. <laughs> and that's how you start a warp core. But you don't have to yeah. take my work for it. For it. All you have to do is just play the opening sequence of that of of that uh, song, and there you go. You got everyone listening to you. 
So, <laughs> um, but when you look at it, who do we think might be the best engineer, chief engineer that Star gosh. Trek put out? Because Jordy got the Enterprise D and the Enterprise E out of some serious shit on numerous times. And he rewrote Warp Drive Crystal Theory. He did. So he's changed it all up. He was starting he was using the next ship's class uh crystallization uh before it was even on paper. Yeah. Prototype, I think. Um no, I'm going to go with Jordy. I'm going to say, because my, my one point against him was that, my one point against him was that he let, he let the Enterprise D blow up with a core breach. But then again, how many times did the Enterprise D blow up throughout the entire course of the, uh, the show? It's Star Trek, so probably half a dozen times. Uh, at least 70 times. And, and that's if you just go ahead and, and count. But that's only if you count, uh, you know, cause and effect for like cause separate effect. incidents. Well, that, that's one went through my head, yeah, because I watched that one recently. <laughs> that's a great show. That's a great episode. So, <laughs> I'm still sticking with Miles O'Brien because of everything he had to deal with. The station. Mm-hmm. He, went, he went from the flagship of the Federation to a, oh. a, a rundown mining facility that wasn't even federation technology and no at and yes it took him a few years but he turned it into one of the hardest hitting uh tactical stations in in the quadrant and oh yeah he managed to help people he managed to find the flaws to fix the flaws of the defiant this is true and being an enlisted man or or a warrant officer being assigned to go back and like head up the engineering department at Starfleet Academy. Yeah. Or even if he wasn't That's heading, right. he was he, just he going was, to, he was, he going, was back. Be going back to earth, wasn't he? He was going back to earth to teach engineering at Starfleet Academy. Maybe he wasn't the head of the department, but he's teaching engineering. That's a okay. well-deserved position for that man. I got to say after everything you'd been through. Yeah. He fought in two wars and, uh, you know, Borg incursion. Borg incursion. Klingons, Romulans, Cardassian, Jem'Hadar, Founders, Ferengi. Mm-hmm. Julian yeah. Bashir. All of these threats. Having to deal with Julian Bashir. <laughs> that, all right. That Julian Bashir in seasons badass. one and two. Sure. <laughs> Julian Bashir, the, the, the last... Uh, Four to five seasons of Deep Space Nine was a much better character. Absolutely. In fact, I think he started getting better before we even learned about his genetic heritage, didn't we? Didn't? Of course he did. His friendship with O'Brien really kind of helped even it out, too. Yeah. Because really... Not only does O'Brien make the space station better, he makes people better around him. So here's something I can prove. Power of the (laughs) Irish... Bashir is this idealistic young officer, and O'Brien's this kind of crusty, old, world-worn NCO, and he's mm-hmm. going to take this 
every brand new platoon leader, every brand new lieutenant in the, <laughs> coming into the army that gets a platoon has some crusty old sergeant first class that's supposed to help take mm-hmm. them under the and say, here, sir, this is what you really need to know. Okay, this is what they didn't teach in school. This is how shit works. Okay, to give that experience with the rank and the, you know, the authority. Yeah. You almost, you get that NCO kind of evening out and and, uh, teaching the guy the ropes. Was it? Yep. I mean... You, you get it, Bashir got more mentoring, really. You would see from O'Brien, and of course, yeah, he tried to learn from people. You could see from people like uh, Cisco. Probably wasn't learning much from Daskus, or he tried to bang her the whole time. Uh, but mm, I would say harassed her, but that's different. Um, Kira could barely tolerate him for years. <laughs> so there wasn't much mentoring going on there. There nope. was mostly O'Brien who would kind of, you know, in some ways mentored him. So now, now we're, I think I'm starting to lay down reasons why he might be one of the best characters in Star Trek, <laughs> let alone why he's one of the best engineers. But Slow down, man. Slow down. O'Brien <laughs> definitely rearranging Deep Space Nine, making it at least functional, livable, he came and was, he moved the fucking station. He did. He did something that it wasn't made to do. He found some way to, like, decrease the gravity and Star Trek sci-fi mumbo-jumbo techno-babble. Well, yeah, they, they used the gravity plates to lessen the mass in front so that they right. could, like, propel. Oh, my God, that's a deep pull. Yeah, wow. they got to use, like, the maneuvering thrusters or whatever to get it, moving mm-hmm. it. All the way to the wormhole. Yeah. And then it went from just being this shithole station to being this shithole station at a cornerstone of one of the most busy and most important discoveries of the century. Yep. So then that allowed Starfleet's going, hey, maybe we should send a few more people, maybe not the shittiest of people, and some shit to help him with. Because, yeah, now this thing's important. There's the Dominion over there. <laughs> oh, there's the Dominion? Here, what? Oh, you guys have like three, four torn torpedoes left? Here, let's give you like a thousand. Twelve hundred. <laughs> it was twelve. a compliment of twelve hundred. <laughs> and what was it? Seventeen or eighteen phaser banks or something like that? Oh, my God. In Way of the Warrior, when that shit opened up, I'm like, I just, oh, my, my God. This show means business. I thought like, they were gonna like have some of these half-assed phasers and maybe a couple of photon oh, torpedoes. Oh, no. so and the defiant, the defiant out there throwing hands. Is. No way, dude! I was like, <laughs> that was that was definitely a uh, that was a mic drop moment by the creators. That, of Deep that, Space was, Nine. When, that was when the creators were like we gotta do something outside the box now. We gotta yeah. show innovation, and yeah. they did. <laughs> that was Iris, Iris, Stephen Bear and Company, showing yep. everybody just how big a set of balls they had. Oh man! Oh, you that thought the good. Defiant was cool? Look at Deep Space Nine. Yeah. I think I lost. I, I think that was when I was like, okay, I'm watching this show every freaking week. 
Oh, every week. Awesome. I had was, was... Dominion and and the Defiant. But when when Way of the Warrior came about and that's when the show really hit its stride. Season three was definitely a big right on track. Um, but man did they really hit the stride. They kind of said, hmm, this Bajoran Cardassian shit. Eh, and my that's okay. But let's put it on the back burner. Let's let's do this shit. They, oh, mm. remember how the Klingons have been our friends? Fuck that. Let's do this. Deep Space Nine said, hey, remember your Star Trek? Well, this is your Star Trek. Because this is the 90s. On energy drinks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is ex- this is Star Trek. Remember how everything was poor extreme. Low, it was Jolt Cola. Yeah, extreme. It was Mountain Dew extreme. Everything was extreme, extreme! in the night. <laughs> the X Games. This is Star Trek Deep X Nine, right there. Star- oh it really should have just said Star Trek Dark and Extreme. Yeah, that's Star true. Trek Extreme Darkness. Boom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh god and then and then you know uh, i you would think say, your star trek is gonna be on this big shiny starship going from place to place well fuck you here's this beat up old one you're gonna have <laughs> this shakespearean actor or this flyboy playboy captain of it hell we're not even giving you a captain because we're extreme <laughs> And he's a dad. <laughs> what? <laughs> you want a legendary starship engineer? One who could grow up to command all a starship himself? Well, screw that. We've got a guy who used to w- basically work the parking meter on the Enterprise. <laughs> He was the most powerful man on the Enterprise, though. He could kill anyone he wanted to. He was the most important man in Starfleet (laughs) history. And when they showed the picture of him, he was behind a transporter pad. Yeah. (laughs) He got demoted. Uh Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I don't know. Scotty was the miracle worker, right? That was what they called it. Mr. Scott, you're a miracle worker. And he pulled out one more miracle with... Jordy, that was a great when they started getting their jam on. It's kind of like, yeah, watch, watching like two guitarists jam together. Well, that was what was so messed up seeing Jordy, who I admired, getting irritated with Scotty, who I loved. You know, that that felt that felt like a, a bit of a betrayal in relics. You it was, I mean? but. I mean, you kind of get it. If you're busy, if of you course. get to do, and you've got somebody, whoa, a 12-year-old. Uh, I was not going to think, you know? But, yeah, I mean, it was the only way it could have played out. I mean, you know, I mean, if he had, if he had, been, if he had been found in the Gamma Quadrant somehow and was brought on board Deep Space Nine. I think it would have just ended up with him and O'Brien pounding drinks in Quark's bar. <laughs> oh no! What would have been better was seeing them flying and <laughs> flying over the battle for Britain <laughs> with their 
with their green with their green whiskeys. <laughs> take that, Mary. Take that. <laughs> I'll give they, you another one, you rascal. <laughs> they probably wouldn't, because they probably were afraid they'd give Jimmy some PTSD. <laughs> oh my God, you're not wrong. <laughs> but still, fan. Uh, well, yeah, I I have definitely seen, you know, and I, I, in the military, you know, sometimes you'll get these old retired guys who get to come by and see what's going on, and they want to tell you stories, and even when you want to hear the stories, you're like, shit, dude, I've got stuff to do, uh, I'm yeah. really sorry, I'm sorry, but I need you to go find something else to do, <laughs> I I. I'm sorry. I, as I got as I got into the military, we would have occasionally stuff like this. And then I at one point I found myself later as I was getting ready to retire. I'm like, oh fuck, I'm about to become that guy. Yeah, you uh, are. Yeah, you are. <laughs> like, oh man, I'm sorry. You're trying to work. I get I'll get out of here. <laughs> like, no, it's it's okay. No, no, no. It's not okay for me to keep you from doing your job. I'm sorry. So, but I get it, you know, I mean, when you think Scotty's world was turned entirely upside down, could Jordy have been just a tad more sensitive? Sure. Should Mm -hmm. they have sent Scotty directly, you know, had Troy escorting him around? Probably a better idea. She was. Probably would have been happier with her. Yep. Um, Riker. I mean, Riker could have done it. He's the first officer. He could have done it. Yeah, he's probably the most personable person there. I'm sur- I'm surprised, and I know that the goal was to get him and Jordy together because one, it be it that was like the equivalent of Kirk and Picard, right? Well, that and, and Data and Spock. Right. You, you needed that. Yeah, absolutely, and they played it off right. I'm not. I'm not criticizing it. I, I, I think the inevitability of seeing that was what I found rough. It broke and your heart I, a little. I didn't, I didn't and I didn't, um, I didn't appreciate it at the time because I, right. I felt there should have been a more reverence in a sense. But from and credit the writers, they're due. They did it in a more realistic fashion. Right. So. That's and that's all I got to say about that. Thanks, Boris. <laughs> but Jordy most definitely was deserving of his position as the chief engineer of the flagship of the Federation. Oh, absolutely, my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, and oh. you, you've exalted O'Brien's uh, O'Brien's accomplishments, and I cannot argue with it in one iota, in any way, shape, or form. And, and you know, and, and you, well, you know how we talked about Trip. Or how about Archer kind of being real rough around the edges and very raw? Yeah. Trip was kind of the same way. They were both basically setting the standard for somebody later on, you know? It's like True. True. And basically the most polished one was O'Brien. Well, I mean, outside of possibly Scotty, who definitely was not he, not a younger man when he was the chief engineer of the Enterprise. No. 
Uh, O'Brien was probably amongst the most experienced. I mean, Jordy yeah. was a fucking bridge, you know, was a a con officer. And then there's like, eh, why don't you try running the engine room? Okie dokie. <laughs> and he did it. Uh, you're part machine. Now you can go do it. Uh, Okie dokie. <laughs> it just, it. I think it, it was a, it was a good place for Jordy. Scotty, you know, I loved the, I loved when he, Figured out how to beam all the tribbles over to the Klingon ship. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Being able to cold start the engine to keep them from crashing into a planet. Yep. Can't can't change the laws of physics. Him and uh, was it he who discovered a reason to? Uh, was he was the one who discovered the way to recrystallize the Klingon crystals, or was that? Oh, that was uh, him. Uh, oh. He figured it out in Star Trek Four. <laughs> yep. So. Using, was, using um, uh, ionized ionized particles from a nuclear generator from the Enterprise. From a nuclear weapon. The CVN. The CVN Enterprise. CVN 65 USS CVN, thank you. Is, it, is the new one 85? I don't know. I'd have to check the registry. I haven't completed it yet. I know that. Yeah. I'm going to be there for well, a while. Well, they were, they were sure. talking about it, you know, like. 15 years ago, 20 years ago, they were talking about uh, when they were getting ready to retire the previous one. So basically, it's been a long road getting from there to here. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. boy. All right, real quick, we've got like, I think, five minutes before we need to wrap this up. Can you think of any honorable mentions from outside of Star Trek? CVN 80, by the way, of the Gerald Ford class. Ah, okay. Um, scheduled for, to be in operation in 2028. Oh, need it sooner than that, man. <laughs> I don't like an. I don't like a U.S. Navy without an Enterprise. It's still there. There's one coming. I know, but it's not the same. Anyway, your your what was your question again? I apologize. The any other non Star Trek chief engineers that we want to at least toss an honorable mention to? Well, um, they are a bit few and far between. I will say that on Firefly, Kaylee, Kaylee. was a pretty damn good engineer. What was her last name? Kaylee Fire, F Y R E, oh Fry, Fry Kaylee Fry. F- that's F R Y E, like the store. Yeah. yeah, she was great. She was she really was. good, and she showed she she showed a very good competence in making that bucket of bolts work. <laughs> so honestly, she was, it was more of a, a Miles O'Brien. Way. She was. She was a tinkerer yeah. and a gearhead. She wasn't. She wasn't formally schooled in any way. She just knew how to make things work. Yep. Not in a stupid pack led way either. Like she knew she could figure it out. Yep. So, all right. So that's my contribution. What about you? Uh, Well, she was going to be mine. Uh, Um, Yeah. Because, I mean, a lot of the others, they didn't really have one on Babylon 5. They didn't focus on that. No. Um. I mean, they they really didn't focus on 
you know, a lot of these ones, it was usually like some like science or tech guru, not a true engineer, you know, like. So really, I don't recall a whole lot or some scientist inventor, right? Exo squad had um, Professor Algernon. Yeah, he was was an inventor. Lieutenant Maggie Weston was basically their resident mechanic. Yep. And she was the one who was always fixing their E-frames and came up with some... You're right. I forgot about that. Wasn't she friends with Marsala? Like, he was her partner? that was Nara Burns. I'm I'm, I'm binge-watching it right now, so it's not like... I started it. Yeah. So um, she's the one who is, like, I think she's got a crush on DeLeon, and Kaz has got a crush on her. Whatever. But, yeah, you've got her. She's kind of a, I mean, she's not a chief engineer of a starship, but she's kind of the one who fixes it. Your mechanic, you, Chewbacca, was like the mechanic of the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't put him up there as one of the best. He was notable. Well, I mean, he did, you know, put C-3PO back together after he got blown up a couple of times. Right. He, he did that in prison because he had nothing else to do. Well, and Anakin Skywalker rebuilt C-3PO, so... He didn't rebuild them. He just he built them from the kit. Yeah, so, I mean... And he built his own pod, so... And he could do that. But would he be an engineer? He was powered by the Force. Well, Obi-Wan Kenobi was basically powered by the Force, but he didn't build anything. Yoda didn't. <laughs> We saw what happened when they tried to put Grogu to plug those shit in. That's true. That's true. (laughs) No, the red one to the blue one. Right. That's a brilliant idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like the equivalent of putting your three-year-old in. Here, go. Uh Yeah, go plug that. Child endangerment laws. Oh. <laughs> All right, so we definitely can say that maybe not some great examples in Star Wars. No, not really. And most of the most of the people that you meet in Star Wars are like the mad scientist type. Yes. Know? Oh, what's her name? Amy Sedaris's character. Oh, yeah, she was a mechanic. Pelly She's a mechanic. Yeah. She is delightful, but again. Questionable means. <laughs> you just ask the Jawas, and you don't. You you ask for the product from the Jawas, they'll get it to you. You just don't ask how they get it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I mean, Futurama was the professor, so he wasn't like the chief engineer. I mean, chief engineer is really a big Star Trek thing. That's a military thing. Well, yeah. Well, you're talking to the wrong guy, dude. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, but we got we got maintenance dudes who you know do that. <laughs> I do believe that naval vessels have chief engineers. Yes. I mean, most ships have like a senior engineer. I would love to. Hmm, I'm I'm sure I could look it up somewhere about how how those designations work out, like on an aircraft carrier or a destroyer or something. Oh, yeah. Your engine room. Yeah. 
that's really what it is. But <laughs> I don't know. We we kind of went a little haywire with some of these. But what do you think? Do you think we did all right here? I think I think we delved into what we really wanted to talk about. <laughs> Very good. Well, in so, that case, I think we should go ahead and wrap up here. All right. Well, on that note, guys, uh, you guys treat that. You, you take us out because I can't do it apparently. You keep dreaming. We'll keep working, and we'll see you on the high ground. So long, everybody. It's really not that hard, but for some reason, I can't do it. Those Sci-Fi Guys is an independent broadcast by Alpha Site Productions, produced by DT Cavman and PS McKay. Music courtesy of Kevin Cloud at Incompetech.com. For more information on upcoming episodes, follow PS McKay on Twitter at PS McKay, or go to thosesci-fi-guys.com for past episode information.